0: Tonight's episode of Midnight Tea is brought to you in part by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. fellow goths, horror enthusiasts, and children of the sun and moon. I am your humble Los Angeles witch, Moonchild Nil, and welcome to season four of Midnight Tea. I'm going to start this episode off by saying thank you to every single one of my listeners that have kept me going this far. Your listenership has kept my podcast going and will continue to keep my podcast going. So thank you so, so much for every single one of you that has tuned in. As always, I usually leave this towards the end of my episodes, but if you would like to follow me on any of my social medias, my TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are Child, and my Twitter is Nil. Please feel free to go ahead and give me a like, subscribe, follow, or share if you like any of the content that I do. And of course, feel free to drop me a DM in any of my social media if you have topics you would like me to cover in future episodes, Or if you have a question for me to answer in my listener-friendly asked questions. With that being said, guys, can you believe it? We made it to season four and it's been a journey. Some of you guys have been here from the very beginning when you would hear me stuttering or making a lot of pregnant pauses in my podcast because let's be honest, I'm not the greatest of speakers. I even get... And I'll be honest, I even get a little bit of a stage fright presence, even if I'm just speaking to the recording over my phone. But it feels good to have a voice and a platform to talk and be heard. And honestly, Anchor, I can't say enough, even though they are my sponsors and I do get something for mentioning them, but they have given me a voice and a platform to be heard and I do appreciate that every single one of you enjoy what I do enough to keep tuning in just about every week. Now, that being said, guys, the next episode is not guaranteed to come out exactly next week, Friday into Saturday. I'm going to continue to try to be prompt about when my episodes come out. But at the same time, I'm, I'm doing a lot of catching up on a lot of other things as well. Just a lot of personal issues. But yes, do not fear, guys. I am back. I am here to continue to give you guys the content that you all enjoy so, so much. And as usual, as I ask in the beginning of every episode, how are you guys doing? I've been away for the last two weeks getting myself back together and it was absolutely some much needed time off. Um... I know a lot has changed in your guys' world as well, and I always love it when you guys send me a DM, usually through my Instagram or my TikTok, to say like, "Hey, we you know, we love your podcast. We just want to know what's going on or anything. I love the communication that I have with you guys, my listeners, because it lets me know it's not just, "Oh, I'm listening to the podcast and getting through it, but I'm I'm comm- I'm connecting with you in any way that I can, and I really do appreciate it." But your girl is doing quite lovely, just kind of also getting her house in order, and it's just about ready to be shown off. I have been decorating it and getting it ready for the spooky season, though I'm going to be honest, my house is Halloween 24-7-365, and that does not change. But it came together beautifully. It's nearly complete. I cannot express enough how excited I am to show it off, but... I'm actually going to go ahead and let this get into this episode, because this is going to be a long one, guys. Uh, Just as a heads up, this is easily going to be probably an hour-long episode, if not longer. So let's go ahead and jump into it. And it's disclaimer time that tonight's episode may contain strong language, possible spoilers for books and media, and dark topics. So this is your viewer or listener discretion advised. So guys, let's go ahead and start off this episode with something I've been waiting over a year to finally get back and do. And that is Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood. As of the time of this recording, I've only went for one night so far. And I have to tell you, it was pure bliss. Holy fuck did I miss Halloween Horror Nights. This is an annual event that I do easily more than one night every year and every time. For the most part, it gets better every year. Now, you've heard me talk about it endlessly in these last few podcasts, especially in season three when they announced that Halloween Horror Nights would be coming back in 2021. And me and my boyfriend got the privilege of getting to go this past September 10th on a Friday. And I'm going to leave this, guys, as a heads up to you. If you were planning to visit Halloween Horror Nights... Please, by all means, wear the most comfortable shoes you own. Um, I know people like such as myself, we went a little dressed up. I bought this really adorable uh, Michael Myers Halloween-themed skirt with suspe- matching suspenders, which had the mask all over it of the shape, and it had the jack-o'-lantern from the opening of the movie. I also really had this really cute um, baseball tee. With, it was black with orange sleeves, and it had um, Michael Myers when he's dressed up as uh Bob is the ghost with the sheet and the glasses over it. I also had my awesome jack o' lantern Halloween purse from Trick or Treat Studios, and I wore thigh high boots, but they were flat thigh high boots. And I even put Dr. Scholl's inserts in them because I know with Halloween Horror Nights, you will be doing a lot of walking. So I figured be as comfortable as humanly possible. And even then, by the end of the night, the shoes were incredibly painful. So this is my warning to any of you guys that are planning to go anytime in the future. Please, you will be doing a lot of walking. Absolutely wear your most comfortable shoes. Um, Universal also does allow you to bring your own outside water in as long as it hasn't been opened before you got to the gates, especially the security checkpoints. Bring water. If you really don't want to spend a lot of money on stuff unnecessarily, please bring water. My purse was big enough to carry two bottles, probably even three if I didn't overload it with stuff. Bring water, please, for your own safety. Um, So let's get into it. Um, Out of all the mazes that we had at Halloween Horror Nights, me and my boyfriend didn't do three of them. And one of them I don't really count because it was... Last minute, I guess, they decided to add that The Walking Dead would be coming back to Halloween Horror Nights. And anybody who knows Universal Studios Hollywood knows that The Walking Dead maze has been there year-round. So we could easily skip that maze because we've done it many times. It's nothing new. Plus, it's Walking Dead. It's nothing to write home about. So we went ahead and skipped that maze. The only other two we did not get to see was Pandora, which was one that they had in 2019, and also The Exorcist, which again was another maze they had in 2019. So it wasn't any real hardship to miss those mazes, whereas everything else we had to see. So we got to go and do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was beautiful. They've done it many years before, but this was a really good maze. It was very enjoyable. We also got to do the Halloween 4 maze, which was phenomenal. I mean, I don't know a time when a Michael Myers themed maze hasn't been anything short of incredible. We also got to do the new one, which is Bride of Frankenstein Lives, which in my humblest of opinion is one of the top most beautiful mazes that they've done. At Universal Studios, the bride was gorgeous. Uh, The theming of the maze. And there'll be a little bit of spoilers here. But there was a segment of the maze in which it looks like the Bride of Frankenstein survived the Great Catastrophe. It's canon in-universe with the Bride and Frankenstein movie. Where at the end, supposedly, the monster, the Frankenstein monster and the bride die. But in this lore of the maze, the bride lives and goes on to recreate Frankenstein, the Frankenstein monster, but using the blood of vampires, which I thought was really interesting. So you see her in this lab coat, and she's kind of going mad as she's trying to recreate her perfect mate. And it's a really good, cute little storyline. She, The only thing I have I could argue with this maze is you're so entranced by how beautiful the scenery is and how beautiful the bride is. She's so gorgeous that it takes away the scary element by you just admiring how beautiful she is. So... Yeah, that's one of the top most beautiful mazes I saw this year at Horror Nights. Then we're also going to talk about, let's see, which maze can we jump to? Um, Wow, I I I can't. I it's hard because it feels even though it was only about a week ago, the whole situation is a blur and how fast we tried to get all these mazes done and knock them out. But next, we're going to talk about the Terra Tram, which was called The Ultimate Purge. And we actually had the privilege of trying to go on earlier, but Halloween Horror Nights starts at 7 p.m. And anybody who knows the West Coast Best Coast, especially at this time of the year where it's not quite fall yet, it wasn't dark enough to go and do the, the Terra Tram. And if it's not dark, it's not fun. So we waited until it was a little darker and we had some really idiot luck because the The wait for the Terra Tram was 110 minutes. We got some kind of idiot luck where we awaited maybe 20 and just got on. And it was fantastic. And I've always said in previous podcasts where i talked about Halloween Horror Nights that when they do like The Purge or um, The Walking Dead as a Terra Tram, it works better instead of it being an indoor maze. Because these are things that happen in the outside world and it deserves to have its stake to claim in an outdoor environment. So the Terra Tram being The Purge and it's filmed and it's around the Bates Motel set and the War of the Worlds plane wreckage was perfect. It was a great scare. And of course, like I said, guys, it's a lot of walking. So make sure you're wearing very comfortable shoes. So that was a lot of fun too. And honestly completed that in about a half an hour. So we, we nailed that very, very quickly. Um, We did not get to go and see the Jabberwockies performance, which I'm sorry to say is probably the lowest point for me. I'm not crazy in love with the Jabberwockies. I've seen the show once, just to say I did, and really have no desire to revisit it again. But if you're into the dance group and their their whole routine, go for it. Um, Me personally, I could skip this. I will... I have a frequent fear pass, so I can go any night I want. As a matter of fact, um, after recording this, as I'm going to be honest, guys, I'm recording this the Friday afternoon before it gets released at midnight tonight, I'm going to go to Halloween Horror Nights again, and I can go as many times as I want because of my fear pass, and I'm probably going to sit in and see the Jabbawockees again because I have the unlimited freedom to do so. Um, but if I'm going with other friends who are really just in it for the mazes, I'm going to skip it for them because, you know, they have what they want to see. And like I said, when I went this previous Friday, I did not get a chance to go to The Exorcist, which I'll probably do again tonight. I'll maybe talk about it again in in another uh, episode. I also didn't get to do Pandora. Now, the walk to get to mazes such as the Haunting of Hill House and Pandora are quite a bit of a walk. Um, And like in previous years, we usually get to do the walk once you're on the lower lot. You walk between Transformers ride and their gift shop and you walk further back into the back lot. You have to take the tunnel to enter the back lot area where usually the studio tour goes through and there's usually more mazes there. Since that didn't happen this year, the new walk to the extra mazes, you have to walk through the back of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter to get to those two mazes. And this walk is not an easy walk, especially if you're tired. So one of the things I would recommend to any of you guys who are massive Halloween Hornets enthusiasts, don't save those two mazes for the end of the night just because it's such a heavy walk and I guarantee you're going to be tired. Now, by the time me and my boyfriend got to these mazes, it was the end of the night. It was roughly um, midnight. And the mazes there were both 110 minutes each. So we had to make an executive decision that we could only do one. And I personally chose The Haunting of Hill House because I marathoned that series and binged watched it within three days to be in preparation for the maze. And I stick wholeheartedly by that decision. And I'm glad I did because as much as I've, I love Pandora, it's a beautifully black lit maze. Haunting of Hill House was phenomenal. It was genuinely terrifying and unnerving and I loved that about it. Uh, the projections of the ghost, they do a lot of these false walls that when the scare performer steps on it or character steps on a light, it triggers the strobe lights, they make their big boom appearance worked unbelievably well for Haunting of Hill House, especially with the ghosts that you like to see in the series, like the bent neck lady or the tall man. And they looked so good. I really think they did really well with this. This is also a maze that I'm going to try to get onto again tonight because I have to. So if you're interested in things like that, definitely check out Haunting of Hill House Maze and Pandora. Um, earlier in the night before you decide you're too tired to go and walk too much farther. Um, If there's any other mazes that I missed, it's probably because I'm trying to recollect what happened last week and my week's been very eventful. But I will talk about more of the mazes in Halloween Horror Nights in my next episode. But yes, guys, this was a great event. If you have a chance, go and buy your tickets now. Please buy them in advance because they will not be sold at the gate for whatever night you want to go if you're really trying to push to do everything in one night because like I said me and my guy we went with general admission tickets and still had to opt out of doing at least three of the mazes and like I said I don't count Walking Dead because it's year-round but we missed Pandora we missed The Exorcist so if you're desperately wanting to get on everything including rides because all rides as far as I know are open all night so that includes Transformers it includes Jurassic World Simpsons um, Flight of the Hippogriff, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, they are open. And if you really are trying, I do believe the only rides that are f- closed for the event it, for Horror Nights is Secret Life of Pets and Despicable Me, because there's Q, their overflow queue lines are being used for the mazes. If you are serious about wanting to do everything in one night, including rides, absolutely upgrade to a, uh, Gate A Pass or a Fast Pass line or if you're willing to do the RIP experience, then do that. But if you're like me and you're going to go multiple nights, so it doesn't really matter if you don't catch a few mazes, a general admission ticket is great, but please buy in advance. And I will talk to you guys more about Halloween Horror Nights in the next episode. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and keep it horror and talk about what's going on on Shudder because we got a few good things to talk about here. The number one thing I want to talk about is this new movie that is coming to Shudder. It should be on Shudder already, right now. It's called The Mortuary Collection. And I saw a trailer for this on a random YouTube video, so I decided to research it. And here's the quick synopsis that's labeled on its IMDb page Desperate for work, a young drifter applies for the job at a local mortuary on the outskirts of town. There, she meets Montgomery Dark an eccentric mortician with more than a few skeletons in his closet. Montgomery chronicles the strange sto- history of the town through a series of twisted tales, each more terrifying than the last. Now, for any any goth, like the idea of working at a, at a mortuary sounds like a dream come true, but you also have to deal with a mortician that's a little out of his mind and is telling weird spooky stories all in the setting of a dark comedy? Sign me the fuck up. This sounds Amazing. The initial release of this movie was September 21st, 2019, but just made it to Shudder in time for the spooky season. And I'm super here for a gothic dark comedy. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend you go ahead and check it out on Shudder. Not a shameless plug though, but I but I will advertise Shudder any way I see fit. Now this latest update, also for Shudder, comes to us from avclub.com. The title in which reads, Elvira's 40th anniversary special is heading to shutter on September 25th. Not to mention today is the birthday of Cassandra Peterson herself, the Elvira, which I also found out that our our beloved Jennifer Tilly, who plays Tiffany Valentine in the Chucky franchise, is also her birthday. So two gothic queens celebrating a birthday on the same day, Friday, not Saturday, September 17th so here in the article it reads as follows it's been 40 years since the since actress Cassandra Peterson first adopted her Elvira mistress of the dark persona a deliberate throwback to the camp horror hostesses of yore who was has now pretty thoroughly eclipsed her predecessors in the public consciousness armed with towering hair some just barely tv legal cleavage and roughly 8 million puns and an insatiable appetite for for schlock horror movies, Elvira Movie Macabre became an institution on TV screens back in the 1980s, introducing a whole generation of viewers to A, a bunch of classic horror movies, and B, the joys of making fun of a bunch of classic horror films. Although the show ended in 1986, Peterson has been a part of the public consciousness ever since starring in films, revival specials, commercials, video games, and not just one, but three different pinball tables. Amazingly, the TV persistence has not to date included a major Elvira content. I'm sorry, I worded that incorrectly. Amazingly, that TV persistence has not to date included any major Elvira content on Shudder. Despite the horror streaming site being a seemingly natural destination for her delightfully campy shtick. That is about to change, though, as the service announced today that it will be playing host to Elvira's 40th anniversary. Very scary, very special, special. This year, as part of its 61 Days of Halloween programming block, the on-demand special will premiere on September 25th and we will see the Mistress of the Dark apply her trademark sh- snark to the works of William Castle, Christopher Lee, William Hyuk, and Elvira herself. Since 1988's Alvira, Mistress of the Dark, will be a major part of the marathon lineup. Peterson issued a statement about the upcoming special, noting that it would, quote, It's always tough turning 40, but what better way to make it? What better way to mark the occasion than a one-night stand with Shudder, the spookiest of streamers. It's going to be the ultimate hollow anniversary bash, and you don't want to miss it, end quote. Films on the special lineup include Castle's House on Haunted Hill, 1960's City of the Dead, and 1973's Messiah of Evil. Now, that was pretty much the article in full, and... You guys, it's Elvira. If there was ever a gothic queen that predates Morticia Adams that we know today, that predates Wednesday, predates Lydia Dietz, it was Elvira. I mean, we've had a couple before them, like the original Morticia, um, Lily Munster, Vampira, even, but we've had Cassandra Peterson. She is still around. She is still as badass and as glorious and as gorgeous as she's ever been. Even for me, who's grown up watching Elvira's movie, Mistress of the Dark, that came out in my girl's birth year. I love this woman. Everything she's touched is straight gold. And absolutely not missing out on this. If you're interested in reading the article for yourself, you can find it on avclub.com. If you have Shudder, mark your calendars for it. Her 40th anniversary special will be on Shudder September 25th, so less than a week from now. Roughly a week from now, my apologies. It'll be absolutely worth watching. I'm going to definitely be there to see it. Shudder continues to to create such gloriously great content for everybody who has a spooky itch that needs to be scratched. And this is one that you absolutely cannot miss. Well, guys, since we're still talking about streaming services, let's talk about what's exciting about Netflix right now, because we've got a couple of updates for them for them, too. This one comes to us from the thehollywoodreporter.com. The headline reads, Game of Thrones star Gwendolyn Christie cast an Adams Family Netflix series. So the cast for the Wednesday Addams series that will be debuting on Netflix, directed by Tim Burton, just keeps growing. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to read you the cliff notes from this article. The Emmy nominee joins the cast of Tim Burton's Wednesday, Wednesday as a series regular. Gwendolyn Christie has joined the cast of the *Adams Family spinoff series that's coming to Netflix. The Emmy-nominated Game of Thrones and Star Wars The Force Awakens star will be a series regular in the upcoming show titled Wednesday. Christie will play Larissa Weems, the principal of Nevermore Academy who still has an axe to grind with her former classmate Morticia Adams, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. The series described as a sleuthing mystery infused sorry I wrote that I read that paragraph wrong the series described as a sleuthing supernaturally infused mystery charting Wednesday Adams played by Jenna Ortega years as a student of Nevermore Academy Wednesday attempts to master her emerging psychic ability thwart a monstrous killing spree that has been terrorizing the local town and solve the supernatural mystery that embroiled her parents 25 years ago all while navigating her new and very tangled relationships at Nevermore. Also joining the cast are Isaac Ordonez, who will be playing Pugsley Adams, Victor Dorobantu, who will be playing Thing, and George Brukea, who will be playing Lurch, with Timothy Earl Jenkins as Mayor Walker, I um Iman Marson will be playing playing Lucas Walker, Will William Houston will be playing Joseph Crackstone, Luyanda Utana or Utani Louis Niawo will be playing deputy Deputy Santiago, Oliver Watson will be playing Kent, Callum Ross will be playing Rowan, and Joanna Dias Watson as Davina. They join the a host of previously unannounced cast members. So guys, that's just the quick cliff note about having Gwendolyn Christie joining Wednesday, which sounds phenomenal and great. I'm also going to add in this other article that says, or this other paragraph from this article that reads, Christie is also playing the role of another major upcoming Netflix fantasy title in the adaption of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman which has wrapped production. So that's also huge news too, because me being a, actually a, quite a big fan of the Sandman comics, this is really cool to know. And yeah, guys, that's going to take care of any upcoming news now for the Wednesday TV's Netflix series that'll be debuting very soon. So congratulations on Gwendolyn Christie for joining the Wednesday cast. Now this next article article what is with me in words today, is coming to us from Deadline.com. This article reads as follows. Guillermo del Toro's Netflix anthology series sets S.E. Davis, Luke Roberts, Andrew Lincoln, F. Marie Abraham, Glenn Turman, and others to star, gets new title. So for a while now we were hearing that there was going to be a new show of sorts, That was either produced or directed by Guillermo del Toro, which you've known his work from doing Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Crimson Peak, and I can go on and on with some of the great movies he's done. And now he is going to be doing a Netflix series, which was similar to something he did where he did a uh, exhibit called his Cabinet of Curiosities. So the article reads as follows. Netflix has announced cast members along with the writers and directors for Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. It's anthology series from the Oscar winner that's set for next year. S.E. Davis, Luke Roberts, Andrew Lincoln, F. Marie Abraham, Glyn Turman, Ben Barnes, Elpidia Caliero, Hannah Galloway, Crispin Glover, Demetrius Gross, David Hewlett, Tim Blake Nelson, Sebastian Roche, and Peter Weller have joined the cast. Other cast members are to be announced. Panos Cosmatos, Jennifer Kent, and Vincenzo Natali will write and direct single episodes of the series, which has been retitled from Guillermo del Toro Presents, Ten After Midnight so guys i'm just going to read that brief brief article if you want to read the entire article it is on deadline.com if you guys have ever been a fan of anything guillermo has ever made especially more recent movies like the shape of water which i thought was such a haunting and beautiful fairy tale of a story this is definitely for you uh no set date just yet as to when exactly this movie or the series will premiere but from what i've seen so far In terms of his cast, this is a really healthy, beautiful looking cast. I cannot wait to see it. And just keep your eyes glued to my next episode or an episode in the future where I will talk more about this and give a proper release date. Well, guys, let's keep the spooky train going by talking about our favorite ghost with the most Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. What has he been up to? And it feels like I've been talking about Beetlejuice in just about every episode of my podcast, but clearly we can't get enough of this guy. So what's going on? Well, for any of you guys out there like myself who did not get the privilege to go see the Beetlejuice musical simply titled Beetlejuice the Musical Musical Musical, which only truly debuted at the Winter Gardens in Broadway in New York. If you did not get the chance to see it, you were probably a little bummed and a little assed out because from there, the show went to Brazil and supposedly in 2022, it will be taking a spot in South Korea where we'll have a residency for a little while. So we're like, damn, we missed out on seeing the musical, which admittedly got mixed, review, mixed to negative reviews. But a friend of mine who is personally probably the only other Beetlejuice fan I know that's bigger than a bigger Beetlejuice fan than me, actually got to go see it in New York and could not speak its praises enough. He was absolutely in love with the movie. He even brought back some really cool gifts for me from the musical production. Well, you guys are in luck. As of September 13th, they made an announcement on Beetlejuice B-Way, the name of their Instagram, all one word, that... Beetlejuice the musical is coming back to New York it'll now be debuting at the marquee theater in Broadway starting April 8th 2022 so yes guys Beetlejuice the musical 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 is coming back to New York and we will finally get the chance to see it if you've never got the chance to see it before. There's still no word of how much of the original cast is coming back. I believe the original Lydia left to do future other projects and the two understudies for Lydia have come in to take her place. And I've heard mixed to good things about whichever girl you do end up getting to see. Um, No word if Alex Brightman will be coming back to reprise his role as Beetlejuice. It would be really great if he does. I personally would love to see him as Beetlejuice before they cast someone else. But to get to see them as much of the original cast, or even if you don't get to see the original cast, I still think if anybody out there is a big Beetlejuice fan, such as myself, whether you grew up with the movie, again, in my birth year, 88 was a great year for horror movies, whether you are a fan of the original Beetlejuice movie with Michael Keaton and Renona Ryder, or if you were a fan of the animated series like I was growing up with that, this should be right up your alley as well. Not to mention the numerous supposedly in Florida, Halloween Horror Nights, where they've had a Beetlejuice maze. This is something you should not miss out on. If you get the opportunity to go out and go to New York to see the musical, do so. So yes, guys, Beetlejuice, the musical, 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 will be at the Marquee Theater in Broadway in Manhattan, Lower Manhattan in New York, starting April 8th, 2022. Get your chance to go get your tickets and don't miss out on the whole living dead thing. Well, guys, let's talk a little bit about music, because I know as we are still kind of fighting the war against COVID, we're slowly starting to get shows and concerts opening up, and one of my favorite shock rockers of all time, Alice Cooper, is performing and on tour again, and I'm sorry to say it to everybody here in the West Coast, Best Coast, especially in the state of California, this one's not for us, but I would be amiss if I didn't talk about it. Alice Cooper will be going back on tour. As a matter of fact, the tour has just started with tonight, his first show being on September 17th. And it's going to go through to October. Now, this is going off of Ticketmaster.com. Here are the um, signed, here's the lineup dates thus far that we have Um, Friday, tonight, or tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this episode, he will be in New Jersey. Saturday, September 18th, he's going to be at Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion in Guilford, New Hampshire. Sunday, September 19th, he will be at the Hartford Healthcare Amphitheater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Tuesday, September 21st, he's going to be at Leader Bank Pavilion in Boston, Massachusetts. Wednesday, September 22nd, he will be at the Stanley Performing Arts Center in Utesa, New York. I'm sorry, are you. Utica, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Friday, September 24th, he will be in Huntington Park Pavilion in Northerly Island in Chicago, Illinois. Saturday, September 25th, he'll be at the DTE Energy Music Theater in Clarkson, Missouri. Monday, September 27th, he'll be in Youngston Foundation Amphitheater in Youngston, Ohio. Um, Tuesday, September 28th, he will be at Rose Music Center at the Heights in Huber Heights, Ohio. Wednesday, September 29th, he'll be at the Lawn and Whites River State Park in Indianapolis, Indiana. Friday, October 1st, he'll be at the BMO Harrison Pavilion in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Saturday, September 2nd, St. Louis Music Park, Maryland Heights, Montana. Sunday, October 3rd, the Ascend Ample Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. Tuesday, October 5th, Appalachian Wireless Arena in Pickyville, Kentucky. Wednesday, October 6th, the Red Hat Amphitheater, in Riley, North Carolina. Thursday, October 7th, Charlotte Metro Credit Union Amplitheater in Charlotte, North Carolina. Saturday, October 9th, Daly's Place Amphitheater in Jacksonville, Florida. Sunday, September t- 10th, I Think Financial Amphitheater in West Palm Beach, Florida. Monday, November... Monday, October 11th, Mid-Florida Credit Union Amphitheater at the Florida State Fairgrounds, Tampa, Florida. Wednesday, October 13th, the Montgomery Performing Arts Center in Montgomery, Alabama. Thursday, October 14th, the BJCC Concert Hall in Birmingham, Alabama. Saturday, October 16th, um, Stormont Vale Event Center in Topeka, Kansas. Monday, October 18th, Smart Financial Center in Sugarland, Texas. Tuesday, October 19th, the HEB Center in Cedar Park, in Cedar Park, Texas. Wednesday, October 20th, Will Rogers Stateatorium in Fort Worth, Texas. And last date, Friday, October 22nd, the Bancorp South Arena in Tilopo, Mississippi. So... Sorry to everybody on the West Coast, Best Coast. We are not getting Alice Cooper on tour, which my heart is devastatingly broken. I've seen him twice live and he is nothing short of absolutely fucking phenomenal. The, the gimmicks he does during his shows, the performance he puts up, the props, the many ways he kills himself. Not really, not real death, just stage death. Amazing. So good. This guy is so fucking amazing. I can't eat. I can't. The second time I went to go see his show, he had a surprise guitarist on stage. Turned out it was Johnny Depp. So I got to see Johnny Depp that night. He played Poison, which is my all-time favorite Alice Cooper song. I, I can't even stress the level of fangirl I felt. And I don't do that regularly when I go to shows. But for Alice Cooper, this man's a fucking legend. So I'm sorry to everybody on the West Coast that Alice Cooper will not be touring in our area, but I feel like even if it's not California or L.A. based, as a podcast that brings to you everything goth, when it's fashion, makeup, toys, events, it I need to be more all-encompassing even if it's not happening in my neck of the woods. So if you guys are interested in this, go right now to Ticketmaster.com or to Alice Cooper's official website. Check out ticket prices, and hopefully he's playing in your neck of the woods. And with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll return to the podcast right after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back, Spooky Kids. Now let's go ahead and continue talking about new series that will be coming out. You have heard me briefly talk about it in my last season and episode of Midnight Tea, But now we got a little bit more information and this one comes to us from an article via Entertainment Weekly. Their article title is Chucky First Look, Get a Killer Tease of a Horror Icon TV Show. Now, we briefly did talk about how there will be a new TV series of Chucky. Um, A title hasn't officially been released yet. Um, We were unsure if they were going to call it Chucky or if they were going to go and return back to the Child's Play moniker. But it looks like we're going back to calling it just Chucky. Considering I suppose there's some licensing issues with Don Mancini and MGM that owns the rights to the name Child's Play. But let's go ahead and dig into this a little further. Let's read a bit of this article, shall we? Franchise director Don Mancini exclusively talks about his Murderous Dolls new series. Given Chucky's diminutive size, it seems appropriate that the killer doll and big screen horror icon has now made his way to the small screen and Entertainment Weekly can exclusively reveal that Chucky will premiere on October 12th at 10 p.m. on USA and Sci-Fi Channel. In the show's idyllic American town, is thrown into chaos after a vintage good guy doll turns up at a suburban yard sale. Soon, everyone must grapple with the series of horrifying murders that begin to expose the town's deep hypocrisies and hidden secrets. Meanwhile, friends and foes from Chucky's past creep back into his world and threaten to expose the truth behind his mysterious origins as a seemingly ordinary child who somehow becomes this notorious monster somehow became this notorious monster. The show stars Zachary Arthur from the show transparent and its showrunner is franchise creator Don Mancini who co-wrote the original film and the movies and the movie series 1988's child's play. Like I said, 1988, my birth year was a very good year for horror and wrote and directed several of the se- of the sequels, including 2017's Cult of Chucky. The main character is a 14-year-old gay boy who's bullied and sort of lost after the recent death of his mother, says Mancini. Quote, he's a young artist making sculptures with doll parts. He finds Chucky at a yard sale and buys him, but it turns out that he gets much more than he bargained for, end quote. Arthur is joined on the show by young actors Teo Bronis, Olivia Allen-Lind, and Björgvin Arn Arnesvon. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Quote, One of the things I wanted to do was bring the franchise back to its child play roots and have the protagonist be kids. But since the first couple of movies we'd already developed into having little kids, I want to explore something different. So this time we're exploring young teenagers. The cast of Chucky also includes fellow franchise newbies Lexa Deong from Jason X and Devon Sawa from Final Destination, as well as returning favorites. My girl, Jennifer Tilly, Fiona Dorif, which played Nika in The Curse and Cult of Chucky, Alex Vincent, who was the original Andy Barkley from Child's Play, Christine Elise and Brad Dorif again, who who once again voices the titular maniac. Quote, One of the things that we pride ourselves on, and I think makes our franchise singular, is that we have spun a relatively consistent and coherent narrative over the course of 33 years, and seven films, and now eight episodes of television, says Mancini. Quote, I think that's one of the things that our fans like about the Chucky franchise. I deliberately ended Cult of Chucky on a series of cliffhangers, major cliffhangers, because I knew a TV series would be, ideal, would be an ideal place to accommodate the delving into the ramifications. So we begin the series introducing our new story, our new milieu, and then we start to bring the veteran characters into the story. And it all comes together for a big showdown. And that's what I'm going to read so far from this article. If you are interested in reading it yourself, you can check it out on entertainmentweekly.com. To say that I am stoked for this series is a fucking understatement. Because, damn it, Chucky has been easily one of my top favorites in my Titans of Horror. And I know everybody's classification of the Titans is different. And in case you don't know what I mean when I say that... When I mentioned the Titans of Terror, it's actually a coined franchise from one of the years of Halloween Horror Nights where they unofficially, I guess, officially or unofficially, labeled Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, and Michael Myers as the four main Titans of Terror because all four of them had a maze at Halloween Horror Nights. Now, depending on who you are, your your list of the Titans of Terror might be a little different. Me personally, it's those four Plus Chucky, Candyman, Pinhead from Hellraiser, and Ghostface from Scream. Because I only would count any of the Titans as characters from horror movies from the late 70s, 80s, and 90s only. Hell, I even include Tim Curry's Pennywise as one of the Titans. Anything past that becomes a slasher of a different kind of genre. But these were the classics that... People of my generation who are either um, Gen X or millennials grew up being scared of them. And Chucky was always one of them. I grew up with Chucky. I love this little bastard. And the series, I'm fucking excited for. They were even showing trailers of this new upcoming series on the Terra Tram on your way to and back from doing the Terra Tramp for for the Ultimate Purge at Halloween Horror Nights this year. So yes, I'm definitely into it. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't have cable. I prefer to not have to pay for cable since I have pretty much every streaming service under the sun. But if there is a way that this series might eventually end up on, let's say, I'm going to say Hulu, just because Hulu is usually the one streaming service that's pretty good with airing TV, uh, like any TV series, then... Please, if someone knows that that's going to happen, please let me know, or maybe if there's a future article that'll explain this more come the October 12th release date, that would be most appreciative too, because I miss my Chucky and I need a little bit more of my my good guy doll in my life. Well guys, since I was already talking about Chucky, let's keep talking about the little good guy bastard. I've recently acquired, well, when I say recently, it's more like I bought this a while ago and haven't really picked it up and started watching it until now. The entire Child's Play series, starting from the 1988 Child's Play all the way to the 2017 Cult of Chucky and also kind of lucked out with having the reboot, I don't know what you would call it, Child's Play movie that came out back in 2019. And I decided to watch this from start to finish, not just in lieu, in preparation for the Chucky TV series, but I own all the movies minus the remake of Child's Play. Let's go ahead and watch them all, give them my own kind of personal ranking. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's start with the very first Child's Play that came out in 1988. It's a fun movie. You can definitely tell it was made on a particular budget because it wasn't, oh my god, a Maze Balls. But it was it was fun. I mean, I think it was great. Not to mention, I'm just gonna say it: Brad Dourif is a daddy. You can murder me any day. But yeah, this movie was this movie was it was it was cheaply made for its time. And again, I think because this movie also came out at a time where talking about killer dolls in the 80s and the 80s was wild. So <laughs> this might not have been the time to have a, a story about a killer doll who just happens to be voodooly injected with the soul of a serial killer. But you know what? To each their own. And I think what we get out of that is actually pretty fun. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, the original Child's Play, plus uh, Alex Vincent being the stuttering, kind of stuttering, little Andy Barkley who can barely read his lines was really cute. The actress that played the mother, I, I'm her name escapes me at the moment, but she's great because the movie mostly follow. If it's not following Andy, it's following the mother. I think her name was Karen in the movie. You know, just she just... She would react any way a normal mom would end of finding out like your child is kind of being, you know, he's, it's kind of a whodunit and Chucky doesn't even reveal himself right away. I love that there's a few clips where you can clearly see this is a person, a little person in a Chucky suit. And some of the shots of him are actually terrifying. But can we also word up to the fact that the animatronics for this doll are so fucking advanced for 1988? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to say my age here, but this movie was made 33 years ago. And the animatronics for Chucky are out of this fucking world phenomenal. Like, if you ever had a reason to fear Chucky, it's the uneasy way he walks as an animatronic and his movements. Never mind, he's a possessed doll. But just, it's a, such a good movie, guys. It's If you haven't watched Chucky yet, give it a chance. It's just, it's amazing. Then... Next, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about Child's Play 2, which um takes place with um, Andy's mom Karen is in a psychiatric hospital, and Andy kind of gets a not really adopted but foster cared by this one family who's also um is fostering this teenage girl named Kyle, and it's fun. It's a good. It's a good movie. It's not the greatest or anything, but I do appreciate the how would you say it um i do appreciate the relationship that goes on between kyle and kyle and andy and how they kind of feed off each other they obviously care about each other even though they don't have a real reason to with kyle kind of being this i don't know she kind of has like this black panther anarchist authority very punk rock kind of look on her and you know what good for you girl do your thing but I mean, the family itself—I kind of like don't care much about. I mean, the the foster dad's such a dick. Fuck him. But hey, it's it's a fun movie. Coolest one of the cooler Chucky deaths out there that I've ever that I've ever seen. So then from there we're gonna go ahead and jump to three, which honestly, in the original trilogy with the Child's Play moniker, it's the one I care about the least. It takes place in a military school and. It's not Alex Vincent that plays Andy. It's this new kid, which that's fine, whatever. But it doesn't do it for me. Uh, In terms of the military setting and now that Chucky has a new body, it's a new set of rules of him having to transfer his soul into the person he first reveals his true self to. So now it's this kid. And honestly, this little kid, I love him. I think his name was Tyler, Trevor. He's so adorable. I love this kid. I think he's so cute. But the way they wrote him is just so dumb. And it's not fair to the kid that they wrote him to be this weepy little thing when he's in a military school. It's almost like you feel like he's being punished for something he didn't do. So that rubbed me the wrong way. And I I wanted more from that. And I'm hurt that it didn't do better. Coolest Chucky Death ever. I'll give it that much. Very cool Chucky Death so you can kind of tell where this movie would be on my ranking then from there we're going to go ahead and jump to Bright Chucky this movie has problems let me start off with the bad the movie has problems fuck the the two main kids that are trying to run away and lope and do their thing and yes I am going to talk spoilers here guys but this franchise is 33 years old you had more than enough time to catch up so you're going to hear spoilers but yeah, the main storyline of these two teenage kids that want to run away and elope, I don't give a fuck about these kids. They're both shitty people. They accuse each other of possible murder, but still want to elope. And I'm like, you guys are dumb. But yeah, that's probably the worst of what I could say in the movie. And the problem is it's the main story of, these, of the kids if you're not involving Chucky. So it takes so much front and center and it kind of kills the enjoyment a little. Because the good about it, can be summed up in just two words and I've already talked about her and I'm gonna continue to talk about her. I don't give a damn if it irritates you. The two words that make this movie fucking phenomenal. Jennifer Tilly, my fucking thick queen. She is the main reason you enjoy this movie. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Brad Dourif and I love this whole story of Chucky. But when Jennifer Tilly comes in, she sells it. She fucking sells it. She's so fucking gorgeous. Word up to also being a thick girl, not this cookie cutter Hollywood stereotype. And just, she makes the movie for me. The fact that she she, was, she, was, she plays a girl named uh, Tiffany Valentine. She was Chucky's girlfriend before all this happened, way before he became Andy Barclay's good guy doll. And she still loves Chucky. She has a tattoo of this man's name on her chest. And Chucky fucks her over by killing her and turning her into a doll. So now they have to make this journey to go to his to the grave of, of Charles Lee Ray's actual body to retrieve this amulet. And god damn it, just the parts about Tiffany and Chucky are the best parts of this movie. And fuck man, even with its flaws, I just love it so much. Them alone makes this movie for me. So I'm gonna throw that one out there. Next, we're going to walk into Seed of Chucky, which uh, I think is the nicest thing I could say about it. Just because Seed of Chucky, first of all, starts off with fucking CG semen, because we all wanted to see that, right? Um, And it basically follows this doll that's called Shitface in the beginning, but later becomes Glenn or Glenda. And one thing I will appreciate this movie is is that Shitface is trying to basically find his parents and he sees this Made in Japan stamp on Chucky's hand, which just so happens to be on his wrist too. So he feels Chucky and Tiffany have to be his parents. So he somehow gets to Hollywood and and finds them and they're actually re-updated versions of the dolls, which I'm gonna also add, the updated Tiffany doll is a lot prettier than in Bride. And I get it, this was their first run with making a Tiffany Valentine Bride doll But by the time we get to Seed, I think this is the prettiest the doll has ever looked. Um, And yeah, they're they're trying to actually stop the killing and try to be good parents to Glenn. And I'm I'm also going to also just refer to him as Glenn because, spoiler, by the end of the movie, Glenn decides to be a boy. And that's another thing I really appreciated about this movie is that Glenn does go through this process where he doesn't know what gender he wants to be. Because the parents pull his pants down and find out he doesn't have male or female genitalia, as a doll wouldn't. But Bride Chucky, yeah, there's a doll sex scene. But Glenn, because he doesn't have any form of genitalia, doesn't know whether he's a boy or a girl. And at, towards the end of Seed, he actually goes to this beautiful transformation of. Sometimes I feel like a boy. Sometimes I feel like a girl. Can I be both? chucky doesn't get it but tiffany's more than welcoming to have glenn be either or and i think that's a really interesting topic and probably one of the few horror movies that does talk about gender identity i don't think they meant for it to be as smart as it was but it is and i think that's great and of course i love the whole meta thing with jennifer tilly is playing jennifer tilly but she's also voicing the tiffany doll and fuck man it's pretty funny I mean, Seed has a lot of low moments, but some of the stuff that they did well, they did really, really well. Now from Seed, we're going to go ahead and jump to Curse of Chucky, which is the newer of the Chucky franchises. And honestly, between Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, I might just do them side by side because they're just direct continuations, are easily the most beautiful of the Child's Play movies. I mean, as a whole with the Chucky franchise. I think they're some of the most beautiful movies, just the way they're shot. We also get Fiona Dorif, Chucky himself, Brad Dorif's daughter, playing Nika, who is a paraplegic and lives in this beautiful mansion with her mother who mysteriously dies. And we're kind of back to the whole basics of the whodunit situation because no one knows that Chucky, is, that this good guy doll that came to her the night before her mom was murdered happens to be the one with Charlie's, Charles Lee Ray's soul in it. So Nika's family comes in to talk about the last rights for the mom and they want to sell the house and Nika and her sister Barb don't really get along and the her Barb's husband is there and their nanny and the child and the child kind of pseudo adopts Chucky and it's kind of back to that same story where Chucky only talks to the child and it's interesting not again I think it's one of the most beautiful child's play movies in existence or in the Chucky franchise. Um, it was on streaming on Netflix for quite a while. Like it was almost exclusively just for Netflix. I don't think it's there anymore, but I've been watching from a Blu-ray set. So that's how I've been watching it lately and I rewatched it all. Also, do not skip the ending for, for Curse or Cult of Chucky because they, are, they do have end credit scenes that should not be missed. And the one we get for Curse where we see Alex Vincent as Andy, for the first time in a very long time, is so fucking cool. Like, so cool. Like, and there's so many meta signs, uh, little nods and winks to you when you see these end credit scenes. Actually, I'm sorry, there's two end credit scenes for Curse that should not be missed, especially the one with Alex Vincent. That's the one that matters the most. And there's nods to Child's Play 2. There's nods to Child's Play 3. It's so, so good. So don't miss that. And with Cult of Chucky, it picks up immediately where Curse left off, where you're following Nika in a psychiatric ward where she's been told for the last four years that Chucky was a figment of her imagination to cope with the deaths that happened in Curse of Chucky. And they try to prove this point by showing her a good guy doll and proving that Chucky was never real. But was he though? And it's fun. It's a lot of fun. This is another one of the really beautiful Chucky movies. And I think it was handled with so much delicate care. And not only that, we get, spoiler, but you knew this. We get the reappearance of Jennifer Tilly. And god damn it, she just, oh, sit on my face. She's so fucking good. She, you, granted, you only see her in the movie for maybe a total of five minutes. But are they're the best five minutes of your life. Like... Damn it! I miss this woman so much, and just yeah, the the psychosis of the whole is Chucky really there? Is it all in Nika's head? You don't know, but the ending for this movie is phenomenal. Also, like I said earlier, in for Curse of Chucky, in Cult of Chucky, there is a post credit scene that you absolutely, and I mean that absolutely, cannot miss, because I believe this is gonna segue into the TV series that we're gonna be getting on Sci-Fi and USA. So you cannot miss out on that. I think this is going to be absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, that's my review of the main Child's Play slash Chucky franchise movies in their own respective rights. And then lastly, we can't talk about Child's Play without mentioning the remake. Now, I know everybody kind of scoffed and rolled their eyes and, you know, kind of joined Jennifer Tilly when they said, you know, hashtag not my Chucky. And after... Having seen the movie now, I can understand why. Um, It's really hard to judge this movie based on its own merits when this shouldn't have been made. And I want to give my respects to Aubrey Plaza and the kid that played the new Andy Barkley and, of course, Mark Hamill, who voiced Chucky in this series. But what hurts my feelings is this should have just been a movie about a haunted doll. Or in this case, it's not a haunted doll because it's not imbued with the soul of a serial killer. It's an, it's just basically an AI that went wrong. There is no human soul attached to it. So I get it. They labeled it child's play because they wanted it to make money instead of just making it a generic evil doll story. And... Again, that just sucks so much because it shouldn't have been that. It should have been its own thing. But to try to sit here and judge it on its own merits, and it's going to be hard to do that, it's okay. Um, I don't really much care for the change with the Aubrey Plaza being the mother character being aged down and Andy being aged up because Andy, Alex Vincent, as Andy in the original Child's Play, was around six or seven And now we just aged Andy Barkley up to 13, whereas now the mother, who probably would have been in her mid-30s, maybe 40s, has now been dropped down to like 20-something. And I'm like, "Uh, meta? More realistic to the times? I don't know. I don't really like it that much. Um, The whole plot of it being an evil AI was a little ridiculous because I feel like anybody who could ever reset anything by putting in a pencil into a very small hole to reset something. I feel like that could have been the same thing for this Chucky. And god damn it, I love Mark Hamill so much. He's my Joker. He's my Luke. But I don't know, man. It's, this wasn't for him. He, he, he does his damnedest. Um, don't let me think, don't let, I don't want any of you guys thinking I'm doing this to shit on Mark Hamill. I'm not. I love this man so damn much. And he really does give this movie his all. But this wasn't for him. This never should have been meant for him. But he definitely tried his hardest to give Chucky a body and a soul in terms of making you feel for this character. And at some points I did because he's an AI that doesn't know any better. He's just going off of whatever the humans do. So when Andy is scratched by his cat, all Chucky knows is strangle the cat because he hurt, he hurt Andy. Andy's his best friend. And there's a scene where he puts Chucky on timeout and he makes this frowny face that genuinely broke my heart. Because again, he's like a little boy being scolded. He doesn't realize he's doing anything wrong. And then of course later he does get a little malicious where he tries to set up Andy for basically murder. And I don't know, some of the people that he kills aside from, I'm gonna spoiler, the cat, they feel like they needed to get got anyway because they were shitty people. But I don't know overall I even think the climax of the movie is kind of dumb and I don't I didn't feel for this movie the same way I do for the original Child's Play franchise and I'm hoping that this was just going to be a one-off and we're never going to have to revisit another Child's Play reboot like this again that doesn't have the love of Don Mancini who created the series or um Brad Dwarf who voices Chucky or Jennifer Tilly or Alex Vincent the cast members that truly matter and made Chucky what it is today. So again, I'm trying to just grade this new Child's Play on its own merit. But man, it's, it's hard because it's, it's not my Chucky. I'm sorry. And that'll probably be the one that I'll revisit the least. I, I've seen it once and I think once is enough. So that being said, my current ranking for the entire Child's Play franchise, and I will be including the reboot or the remake, The remake is at the bottom of my list. I'm sorry. It's not that great. If you've seen it once, see it. But after that, just be done with it. Then I'm going to rank Child's Play 3. Next will be Seed of Chucky. Next would be Child's Play 2. After that would be the original. And I know, blasphemy. I didn't rank the original top of my list. I'm like, "Mm, I had my reasons. Then finishing it up will be Cult of Chucky curse of chucky and top of my list would be bride of chucky and yes even though you heard me complain that bride of chucky has a lot of problems i find this one is the one i come back to rewatch the most i, I if i'm gonna be very honest even though i can give fuck all about the the teenagers and their fucking eloping business jennifer tilly man her and brad dwarf playing off each other and like they need to be a married couple in real life that's how much i believe in their story So guys, that's going to be it for my review of the entire Child's Play franchise. Um, I recently went back and I bought a bunch of the Titan movies that I want to start reviewing very soon. Um, I have the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series that I'm going to be reviewing maybe in the upcoming month. Same thing with Friday the 13th. I have all of them now, so I'm going to start reviewing those as well. Um, I have other franchises that I could review, but I've kind of done them in passing like the Crow franchise. And so on and so forth. And maybe I'll go back to another Change Nils Mind where I'll do a movie that I just heard of that was everybody loved, but I didn't. But I'll be happy to review those in future episodes. So guys, we're going to go ahead and review one movie that I got really excited for when I saw the trailers for. And that is Malignant that released just this week on HBO Max. And I know some of you guys were waiting for me to possibly review Candyman. I know one or two of you had asked in my um, in my DMs to see if I would review it. Unfortunately, I still haven't had a chance to go see it, and if I I personally refuse to see it at home, I want to see it in theaters. But Malignant is streaming currently right now for free on HBO Max, and I figured I had a home a day off where I was home, and figured let me go ahead and check it out. Um, This was created by James Wan, the same guy who did the Saw franchise. Hell, he even did some of the Fast and Furious movies. And uh, I believe he also had his hand in The Conjuring as well. So, uh, malignant. Let me try to give a brief synopsis without talking too heavily about spoilers. And I'm going to keep this pretty brief. But basically, a woman is being haunted by some kind of entity that is showing her visions of murders as they are happening and it's basically her story is the entire movie of figuring out exactly why she's having these visions and who is doing it to her now on the surface that present um that story seems pretty pretty solid uh the trailers especially this one trailer in particular i watched where it's an overhead shot of her walking through her running through her house is actually really really good, um, but what kind of kills me if I can be very honest is the acting in the first ten minutes of the movie. It doesn't. It's not very good. It it comes off a little wooden, and for a movie that they guess I guess was expecting to make a shit ton of money, mm, you gotta you gotta work a little harder on that. Um. I hate to say it, but I feel like the movie was pretty predictable. I actually figured out the twist of the movie 30 minutes in. Also, this movie's pretty long. It's about an hour and 51 minutes. And maybe it's just me, but I prefer my horror movies not to be this long because now you're spending a little too much time revealing who the murderer, the killer is. And also you're seeing too much of it. So that way it takes away the suspense of how scary this creature is. Now, granted, a few shots that they did show of this creature did look pretty unnerving. And I'm going to try my best not to get into too many spoilers here because I want this to be one of those review it for yourself. But he, at first, when you did see this, this creature, uh, minor spoiler, it's a he, he did look scary. But by the half hour mark, I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Okay. And you shouldn't want have to do that in a horror movie. You should be left on the edge of your seat up until the big reveal or the big twist. And for me, Malignant didn't do that. And it hurt because, again, the trailer sold it as being so fucking scary. For a minute, sure, it was. And I also word up to Joe Bashara, who does a lot of the musical scores for these movies, especially in the Conjuring universe. I believe he had his hand on, in Saw. He did... The music for Repo the Genetic Opera. Some of my favorite horror movies out there. Modern day horror. And I love Joe. I love everything he does. He's also the lipstick demon from Insidious. The red and black one. And I I, I love his music. But when I heard the music that he did for Malignant. It didn't match the tone of the movie. And as a matter of fact. Some parts of the score sounded very Stranger Things-esque. And I don't want to knock on on joke, because the man knows what he's doing. He's obviously very talented. He wouldn't be in this industry if he wasn't. But I just didn't think... I thought the music was a little too jarring and striking for a movie that seems to be going for more quiet subtlety in its scares. And the build-up and the crescendo of the music as we're waiting for the monster to jump-scare us or something, I feel like it was too loud and already presenting itself in that atmosphere to get you where I wanted something a little more subdued and quiet. So I love you, Joe. And if I, I mean, if you ever hear this, I love your work. I've always loved your work. I'm always happy to even see you in person and just talk about it with you. But yeah, man, this one was just a little too jarring. And I'm sure that's probably the notes that the producers and stuff asked of you while making this film. But yeah, it wasn't. it wasn't quite there for me. So overall, did I hate Malignant? No, I didn't hate it. But do I think it's worth the price of admission in a movie theater? No. I don't think so. I have friends, like my my homeboy Spooky, he went to see it in theaters. He absolutely loved it. But I think he's less critical of horror movies than I am. Where I'm waiting for bigger scares. And I think I'm a little... I'm still more excited to see Halloween Kills that comes out in October. Which is getting bad reviews from what I'm hearing from critics. But... Fuck the dumb shit. Michael Myers is my favorite titan of all time. As a matter of fact, he's probably my favorite horror villain of all time. So that's not good, bad critic reviews is not going to deter me from going to see that movie. Whereas Malignant, I was hoping for something more. And if, if anybody does want a quick spoiler, I'm, I'm not going to say it outright. But if you want to know basically the twist, look up someone in history named Edward Mordrake. Um, he also made an appearance in American Horror Story Freak Show. He is actually someone from history. If you want to read up on him, there's your spoiler for the movie. I'm not going to go any further than that about it. But like I said, if you're interested in checking out Malignant yourself, it is in theaters right now. Or you can go and see it streaming on HBO Max for free right now. And that's it, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in on season four opening Season four of Midnight Tea. I know this episode ran a little long and it's partially because I took that two week long break to kind of recharge my batteries and get ready for season four. And I hope this episode lived up to your guys' expectation and I know the wait was long and I'm hoping to you, my listeners, it was worth it. So thank you to each and every one of you, whether you live in the same city, the same state, the same country, or halfway across the globe. Thank you so much for your listenership, because you truly do keep my podcast going. I also want to say a special thank you to some of my new listeners that came in. I just saw I had a new crop of listeners from Brazil. Hola. Thank you for joining. I also saw that I have some listeners in Asian countries, such as China and Japan. Thank you so, so much for joining and tuning in. I truly, truly appreciate it. And as always, guys, if you want to follow me on any of my social media, my Twitter is moonchildnil. My TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are Morningstar Moonchild. Please go ahead and go and check them out and give me a like, a subscribe, a follow, or a share if you like the content that I do. As always, my goal is to continue to get to keep you guys updated on everything from horror trends as far as fas- uh, horror, as far as movies, or books, or streaming any gothic tips when it comes to fashion, accessories, makeup, toys, music, everything under the sun that keeps it dark and spooky year round. I, um, I know I haven't been doing a listener friendly ask questions. Um, I wasn't going to do one for this episode because I know this episode was going to run long and I didn't want to bog it down with that. So I am apologize for anybody's questions that they've sent me over the past few weeks that I did not get to. I'm sorry for that. Um, I just didn't want the episode to run longer than an hour, which, you know, things happen. But um, I will definitely make it a presence to do it in the next episode. Um, Next week's episode will not be coming out next week. Um, The next episode will be coming out, not this next upcoming Friday, but the Friday afterwards, in which I'm just going to give myself a break. This may happen a lot throughout this season of midnight tea, where I might skip a week and just do it every other week just to make sure I don't overload myself. Uh, I'm also trying to bog down, hold, hold down, or get in concrete or get in stone a um, guest to come in because I do have a topic I really do want to talk about, po- hopefully in the next episode, um, about a very big subject matter that we kind of talked about in previous episodes. But I want to talk to it in depth from somebody, from an, another person in the horror industry. And who knows who that might be. But till then, guys, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to continue to do some more nights at Halloween Horror Nights because I would love to give more reviews on that. Um, I'm also going to start getting caught up in some other horror things that people are telling me I'm missing tr- out on tremendously. Um, Starting with What We Do in the Shadows that's been streaming. I've only ever watched the movie. I have not had a chance to watch the series And I've been told you're missing out on some absolutely quality TV. So I need to also get it back into that. I also didn't review the latest episodes of American Horror Story. That'll probably be on the next episode as well. But till then, guys, it's a crazy world out there. Please spread kindness. It costs nothing. Stay safe and blessed be.